Hi everyone and welcome to this month's podcast. I'm so honored to be joined by a panel of guests who are so distinguished. <laughs> and I'm, I'm even honored to be with them today, including my partner Mashudu from the CDA South Africa office. So this month we're talking about the importance of energy regulatory reforms in unlocking energy infrastructure investments uh, on the African continent. And the reason for that is because currently Nairobi is hosting the AES conference and we thought it would be a very relevant topic to discuss um, as our distinguished guests are here. Nashid is also here. Uh, and so why not have this conversation? So thank you very much everyone for joining um, this afternoon. So just to get everyone to introduce themselves, we have Ali Mnisi, who is a senior investment advisor at IDC. Um, could you tell us a bit about yourself? Okay, so my name is Ivy Nisi. Um, so I'm a senior deal maker at the IDC, and I've been with the IDC for you know 13 years. Uh, you know, Amazing, thank you, thank you very much for joining us. We have Mpora um, Kone. I'm sorry if I butchered that name. Who is the head of project finance at at the South African Development Bank, right? DBSA. DBSA. Okay, tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, thank thank you for having us. Uh, all the way from South Africa to the to Nairobi, and joining the Africa Energy Forum. So I'm Pomukwili, head of project finance at the Development Bank of Southern Africa. Uh, been there for the longest time, uh, executing a number of transactions across infrastructure transactions, for that matter, across the entire African continent, including in Kenya. We've got a number of projects that we are funding here. Um, since the theme here is about energy, uh, we're looking at a number of transactions in Kenya with your utility here, and we want to do more across the entire continent to develop the continent, of course. So that's what we do. We are development finance institutions. I mean, brilliant. That's exactly what we want to hear, and it's positive that you are looking at more investments in Africa. And then we're joined by also Mpo Modise, who is the business development executive at PowerX. So tell us a bit about yourself, Mpo. Thanks, Jerry. So my name is um, Pomo Dissev. I'm from a company called PowerX. PowerX is an energy trader, trading currently trading power um, in SA. It has been operating for over 10 years. Um, it is a first licensed energy trader in South Africa and has been the only one for the longest of time. Um, and uh, basically our business model is to buy and sell electrodes. We are looking forward to growing PowerX into the rest of the continent. And is this your first time in Kenya? No, definitely not my first time. Uh, I've been in Nairobi. I've done some transaction in Nairobi in my former job at the IDC. I was actually my colleague. Uh, yeah, okay. I've actually done a power plant in Kenya, oh, in Nairobi, amazing. yeah. Amazing. So these are the perfect people to, to speak to on this subject. And then, of course, Head of uh, Banking and Finance for CDH, who is Mashidu. Mashidu, please, please don't ask me to say you were saying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jerry, for the platform. Nice to be here in Kenya. Uh, my first time. Uh, I'm enjoying it. I also enjoying the conference as well. It's Mashidu Mpafuri, Head of Finance and Banking, uh, based in Johannesburg office. And I've been involved in the project, uh, finance project for a number of years, um, particularly in the energy space, uh, transport space, and, and the water sector. And uh, it's my pleasure and privilege to be here. Thank you. 
Thank you so much. So let's get straight into it. Um, and obviously, this is a conversation, so anyone jump in at any time and you feel like, like you yeah. want to. We're talking about energy regulatory reforms, um, and we're talking about whether or not um, there is a power to unlock um, energy uh, unlock energy infrastructure for this continent. So the first question that we, we have to talk about is, are energy infrastructure in the continent, are they unbankable, and why do they struggle so much? Hmm. Quite a loaded question. So, and I'm assuming you're asking about energy utilities? Correct. Right? Yes, Correct. The, the, the infrastructure itself. Yeah. So, I think part of the problem with lack of energy access is precisely because a lot of the utilities on the African continent are unbankable, right? Which is, uh, which is exactly what we're speaking about today. And what can we do? Just to make sure that they can attract funding correct in order to be able to implement transactions infrastructure projects and then by so doing then uh, need to increase the energy access so the key issues we speak into is a lot of the utilities are debt burdened right? debt burdened which means they cannot borrow mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so the manager cannot borrow it means you cannot implement some of the plans that you have power stations that you want to put on the ground to relieve, you know, your, you know, provide electricity to your citizens. So that's precisely where the issue is. Mm -hmm. And coupled with not being able to borrow and, and all those cap uh, capex constra uh, cap capacity constraints from a governance point of view within the utility, where utility is not able to you know, from an administration point of view, you don't have a solid management team. So you've got some utilities that have not transformed. They don't, they have governance issues, for example. So those are some of the aspects that need to be addressed for your utilities on the continent to be able to transform. But coupled with the fact that you need some of the uh, utilities to, you know, harness technology, so we've got issues of energy demand versus supply, where your demand is outstripping supply. Okay. And because of that, some of it can be resolved via technology. Okay. All right. So, and I'm speaking here about load matching, that type of technology. So if you're able to then harness technology, you'll find that there's a city somewhere in Kenya that does not need as much energy as so what you can then do, you can do what they call load matching and load shifting. You are then able with technology to move some of those, that those electrons, as Paul was mentioning, to Nairobi, where is a populated city, right? It's most populated. Mm. So technology is quite important for our energy utilities to harness that technology, to be able to transform. So business models need to transform just because of you know, I think we still start in the past where utilities are vertically inter integrated, where it's transmission, you've got generation, we've got distribution on and on. Yeah. So how do we then unbundle that, you know, all those uh, um, different segments within utilities just to make sure that the model is, speaks to what's happening currently? elsewhere globally 
Because okay. you look at utilities in California, they're geared up for the future, right? So we need to make sure then utilities in Africa are also geared up, harnessing technology, how they are structured, right? So that the dead bedding issues that I spoke about are relieved. So that's quite important. Yeah. But we can unpack as well. Yeah, but, uh, because it seems like a lot to be done. And, you know, dead burden technology, um, even the structure of, of how um, the companies are organized themselves, um, that seems like, you know, un, unbeatable. How do how do we overcome that, especially in the face of regulation? Yeah, look, I mean, coming to the regulation part, and my colleagues are going to add around about uh, regulation, right? So there's the energy trading part of it, right, which is quite important. How do you then, um, you know, in South Africa, for example, from a regulatory point of view, mm-hmm. uh, we've allowed the private sector to play mm-hmm. quite a prominent role, right? Um, you know, remember I spoke about being dead burdened, and because you're dead burdened, and you cannot borrow money. Why don't you allow someone else to borrow money, mm-hmm. right, which is the private sector? Mm-hmm. So bring in the private sector into the mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to do all of this by yourself as a state-owned utility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So put in place various regulations, and my, my colleagues are probably uh, much better informed than me to speak to some of the regulatory reforms that are needed. Uh, right as we go along in the during the conversation, so deregulating some of the energy sector in most of these African countries is quite important to bring in to catalyze the private sector to come in and also provide some of the capital. So we're talking about uh, independent power producers. Right? Mm-hmm. So your your utilities that are state owned don't have to uh, provide uh, access to the electricity by themselves. Yeah. I mean, who can speak to that then? Can you speak to the, to, to you know, privatization of energy utilities? Any of you? Look, I mean, I think uh, when it comes to privatization, you know, as you said, you know, the, you know, the key, um, if we can use an example of SA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a very well-established, uh, you know, public procurement, uh, you know, program, uh, which you call the renewable energy, you know, uh, copy uh, in SA. So, on a regular basis, the government will go and tender and invite uh, independent power producers, you know, to bid, uh, you know, their projects to supply energy, like you know, into the grid. It's been a very, like you know, successful, you know, program. Uh, having gone through um, five iterations, now we are in iteration number six. Um, and through that period, the country has managed to add about. It's about 14 and gigawatts, you know, page onto the grid from, you know, from independent power producers. Yes. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a very well-established uh, like, you know, space. And um, many parties that we see here, that, you know, uh, at the Energy Forum, as IPPs, predominantly develop those projects. Yeah. So you've got the banks uh, who now understand, like, what the risk. Obviously, initially, the, you know, the government had to provide a lot of support, mm-hmm. you know, to make it work. So we've got a very like, well-established ecosystem of uh, buyers and banks are playing a bigger role. DFIs like the UBSA and the IDC, you know, are in there. So, you know, and we're also seeing benefits to the country in the sense that the cost, you know, of electricity generated by these uh, technologies, predominantly renewable, has been going down. 
competing, you know, with your base load, uh, you know, coal-based uh, or fossil-based, uh, you know, like technologies that has been uh, prevalent for, you know, for the longest time. I mean, I, that's, I mean, that's very positive to hear, given that, you know, South Africa, when we go there, we suffer from a lot of low checking. <laughs> so it's good to hear that. How can the model that you are talking about be developed within wider Africa? Because I think that's that's where we need to go, isn't it? Um, yeah. So, Ali? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, can, I can add my two cents worth to it. So, yeah, I mean, what Ali was uh, speaking to is your renewable IPP program, quite a successful program, mm -hmm. right? for renewable energy. And when we speak to renewable energy is the just transition comes into the mix because yeah. yes, uh, you know, we need to decarbonize, move away slowly, but for sure from fossil fuels on the African continent, as much as there's a uh, need to provide energy access, there's also a need to decarbonize globally yeah. in terms of the uh, uh, just transition. Yeah. But coming back to your question, around how do we replicate that model, right? So Kenya has done quite a good job, you know, in terms of unbundling. Yeah. So you're able to bring, you know, unbundling your generation side. You've got the likes of KGN, Kenya, Kenya overall, yeah. mm -hmm. that are able to catalyze the private sector. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of IPPs in Kenya, right? So there's different models in Morocco as well. So it's not South Africa alone, mm -hmm. remember, right? So it's about bringing in... CDH is here, of course, but coming from South Thank Africa. Thank you for the shout out. CDH is one of those. So you bring those advisors on board in those African countries in order to share some of the models. Some of the knowledge as well. No, on how knowledge, to do it. Yeah. how to do it, right? So it's quite important. The knowledge sharing aspect of it is quite important. But over and above the renewable IPP program, I think then it's about what we call embedded generation as well. This is where now is private sector to private sector, and it's where the regulations are quite important mm -hmm. to to deregulate, right? Mm -hmm. So now you are leading a private sector player, whether it's a mining house or a commercial and industrial company, to buy directly now from a private sector company. So producing so outside of the government, yeah. outside of the government. So we've got those types of models. Ghana is doing it quite well. There are there are projects that we funded where that model is working successfully. Yeah. Then what the government is now doing by deregulating, then letting the private sector just play, right? Play within the market without them interfering. So creating an enabling environment. Yeah. Well. I mean that's that's really good. Ali? No, what I was gonna add is that I think also when the SA program, what is very key is the government support. I think the the CNI market, the commercial and industrial waste, private kind of procurement, I don't think that it would have developed to the extent that it has, like in basically, had the government not necessarily led the development of that space, precisely because the state utility would be the buyer mm -hmm. um, of electricity, and the government would provide guarantees. Uh, and given that we've gone through the different rounds, or like no procurement like no rounds where Parties were invited to provide uh, their own generation capacity onto the grid. Yeah. That allowed the industry to, to mature mm. so that everyone can understand their risk and yeah. um, opportunity. I actually believe that that risk and opportunity can be, you know, can be, uh, you know, attained. That okay. Let me, you can realize it. Yeah. And as a result, that the private sector 
they started growing from that uh, and many other mm. you know programs uh, mm. i mean that, that's excellent um as we are in a very special uh podcast this month Mashidu is also my fellow panelist for this so i'll hand over to you Mashidu. thank you Njim. just to add to what um, paul was speaking about particularly in relation to deregulation in the context of the south african market we have ESCOM, the state entity that basically is the main supplier of power uh, and it's in the process right now uh, of unbundling uh, such that you know you have a distribution transmission um, and generation currently ESCOM does the whole trick yeah and currently you know the the, the way we were, we were working towards uh, as uh, or, or where the government is going is to basically establish a separate independent transmission entity and a generation entity yeah uh, that's where we will be going uh, in order to make sure that you know you don't have you know a, a utility that's providing all of those because that model has proven to be not working and and problematic in a number of ways hence we mm -hmm. find ourselves you know experiencing load shedding from time to time <laughs> from time to time is a key word there okay um so let's talk about energy trading then what has the ability for energy traders to come into the market done for the the potential to unlock um energy infrastructure in the continent i don't know who wants to take i'll, I'll take it um i think maybe just to give a little bit of uh background on what energy trading is in the African continent right now because um, it's not the same as um, energy trading in Europe. Yeah. So currently in, in the continent we've got two types of um, energy trading. The first one is sort of a sovereign to sovereign uh, energy trading either through a bilateral agreement between two countries or um, through a regional contract like the SEP or uh, the WEP, the EA app, or the CAP. Mm -hmm. And when we've got a private sector energy trading, where companies like PowerX, where I work, is a private energy trader, we will basically buy electrons from an IPP and also those electrons to um, a, a portfolio of um, customers. So that is um sorry, those customers are private customers or would it be like a country or or you know, a particular region in a in a country? So currently the the framework is such that it is to private customers. So it's a public private uh partnership because the IPP that are producing the power still need to connect to um, a utility the infrastructure yeah. and the power will then be wheeled to the different customers within um, that country. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so, so, so the different models uh, work in that they facilitate uh, the generation and consumption of um, renewable energy because all of a sudden we are not looking to just the utility alone to provide um, power to 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 companies within a country to to companies in a country we are we are looking at IPPs also providing that power yeah. so that provides some form of uh, fast tracking uh, some form of uh, access to power faster than if we were just looking to utility to provide that power yeah and also diversification in the market because I mean that's excellent uh, and so is that model being replicated across Africa and where have you guys seen it being successful so currently i think south africa is leading in uh trading we have had green coffee for a while 
which uh, started trading power, um, but I think they've been focusing on in Zambia. And one of the reasons why they've been focusing there is because trading needs some of form of regulatory uh, framework by the utility. The utility need to describe in advance how trading is going to work in this country, yeah. mm -hmm. what are going to be the wheeling charges of uh, trading in that country, how are you going to connect, and where are the credits and the metering are going to be yeah so because of the lack of free of that framework in some countries um we have not seen um, a lot of trading happening uh in south africa um PowerX, as i've said has been doing it for 10 years now we've got four other traders that have joined that are that are starting to trade um we have also been i think in consultation with uh the namibia uh, regulator and eswatini regulator who are now saying this is a new model it's new um, in South Africa, it's operating. What lessons can we learn yeah. from this model, and how can we establish our own framework uh, so that we can start having trading in our own country? I mean, that, and that's amazing. And are there challenges with that kind of model? I mean, aside from perhaps you know a price issue, what are the other issues that there could be? Mm. Look, there there is a lot of uh, challenges right now because. Um, Although in South Africa it has been happening for 10 years, there were some um, regulatory hamstrings that caused the model not to um, increase capacity. Yeah. So in South Africa, you you were only allowed to build um, one megawatt uh, of uh, renewable energy power unless you were going um, through the government procurement uh, program. And if you wanted to build anything more than that, you needed to go through some regulatory processes, get approvals, mm -hmm. um, and that was a little bit discouraging to a lot of IPPs. So the focus really had been on uh, building utility scale, uh, power generation, um, power generation basically to sell to the um, utility. But the challenge that has come is that because of... Um, because of the prog the the government procurement program, um, the government procurement program came with a treasury guarantee. Yeah. Now the lender community like Mpo and Ali are used to building a power plant with some form of hundred percent backup guarantee. Yeah. Solving guarantee and. They are struggling to move from that model when it comes to building a power plant for a trader. So that is one of the biggest challenges. We basically need a mental shift mm -hmm. from that community, from looking for a 100% 20-year back-to-back uh, guarantee yeah. where they were basically taking more risk in projects. Another challenge is that um, we speak of the SAP, we speak of the WAP, we speak of the CAP, but the countries are not sitting down in one table and saying, what is the energy plan of SADC, for mm -hmm. example? Mm -hmm. What is the energy plan? How can we build infrastructure mm -hmm. that is going to allow us to export power from one country to the next? So that, that is a challenge. So if, yeah. if, if right now as a trader, I have a client, let's say I have a mining client that has mining operations in SA and in Mozambique, in order for me to trade power into that country, I need to get a trading license in SA, I must go get another one in Mozambique, I must go get another one in Zambia or Tanzania. But if yeah. we had a coordinated plan, we had a uniform 
uh, framework, it means I could have one trading license that can allow me to trade in the entire SADC region, for example. Yeah, yeah. that would be very helpful and coordinate mm-hmm. yeah. activities, obviously. Um, has, has this been kind of the discussion that you've been having at the AEF? Is anyone talking about it um, in this conference? Look, I think at the mining in Dada, for example, uh, which was held in South Africa in Cape Town, and the Africa Energy Week, where there was concentration on maybe there were some some meetings about um, SADC or uh, West Africa or East Africa. That's where the discussions have been happening. Even uh, for the African Free Trade, um, yes, the uh, continental agreement. Yes, the continental agreement. Those discussions have happened, but you know um, how Africa is. Talk, 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 and let's no sure. so action. Well, I hope that has not been the, your experience in this um, in this conference. But in, anyway, let's talk about um, energy projects and their bankability. Um, are they still bankable? Like Mfo said, uh, you know, banks are looking for back-to-back guarantees on yep. you know for. Uh, the, pro- the length of the project, that might not be the case going forward. W- are they still bankable? Are you still interested? Mm. No, look, I mean, uh, this project is still very, like, you know, bankable. Um, but, I mean, but, you know, they're seeing changes, mm. you know, in how maybe, like, on the construction. I think as in Paul, like, you know, alluded to it. And, um, you know, initially, in the initial stages, the government would provide a guarantee, and that made, um, you know, the projects very bankable. Correct. But now you're starting to see shorter tenors, whereas, you know, it used to be 15, sorry, 20 years. 20 years. Mm-hmm. Now we're starting to see, like, you know, tenors being reduced about 15 years. Mm-hmm. You know, we're starting to see, like, you know, the private sector. Um, when you go to the CNI space, the private, I mean, power purchase agreements, they're actually, like, you no know, customized. Yeah. So each one is not necessarily the same, but um you are finding or we're finding that even in the renewable space more and more are being closed and uh, another indicator of how big it will they become is that you have more and more banks that are going into an area that would have been considered as you know higher risk uh, risky, yeah. like mm-hmm. you know the government procurement uh, you know, yeah. program and yeah I mean, it, you smell you smell you smell Coming back to Paul, we're saying we need to, as bankers, we need to change our minds. Sure. Well, shift our minds, and that's the image that she used. There's a number of solutions. We need to we need to talk. We need to be creative, innovative, yeah. right? It's, so it's all about that. There's always, especially in Africa, there's always challenges. Mm. The question is, how do you structure around those challenges? Mm. What solutions do you come up with? I've presented a couple of solutions to her. She knows. <laughs> no, tell us. You can't give them. You're not in I'll mention a couple of things. Yes, I mean, yeah. Energy trader. An energy trader is basically it's a buyer and seller mm-hmm. of electricity, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Sitting in the middle. Most of them, to the point that she made, is their shells. They don't have balance sheets. That's mm-hmm. where the issue is. Mm-hmm. Now, when a lender comes in, they'll say, Who's underwriting? Who's underpinning mm-hmm. this PPA, this mm-hmm. power purchase agreement? Mm-hmm. Right? They're used to power purchase agreements with government guarantees, yeah. right? Yeah. But now you've got this shell that is nothing in it. So how do you get around those issues? So part of how you get around these issues, remember it's a pass through you buy and you sell. So how you get around it is where you ultimate customers. Mm-hmm. So if a customer is bankable, then that's how the problem solved. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So that's one solution. Mm-hmm. The other solution is, can you uh, capitalize the power, the power trader, yeah. energy trader? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But we're not looking for a twenty-year guarantee here. To the point you made. Mm-hmm. So we're looking for a diversified pool of customers. We're looking for a nine months, twelve months guarantee. Just enough for me to be able to replace mm-hmm. power apps. <clears throat> they don't meet my obligations under the power purchase agreement, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's so much demand for energy. I can always be able to sell it to someone else if yeah. PowerX goes under. So that's how you become creative. That's how we've already changed, um, uh, shifted our minds. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, right, maybe she's yeah. not speaking to that. <laughs> so, so, so we've done all of that. So there are yeah. solutions on the table. So we've got to be creative, mm-hmm. and we're already creative as development finance the institutions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and um, is there insurance available, insurance products for that kind of thing, or not yet? So we are the ones that provide insurance. That's what I was talking about, guarantees, some form yeah. of guarantees. That mm-hmm. kind of, uh, no, the, I mean, that, that party insurance, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I don't know if you... Yeah. Can, I, can, I also, can, can I add to that? Oh, yeah. I must have heard Maybe you a little share, and then we Yeah, so, I mean, so in the energy projects, the beauty about it is that, you know, you, you basically have a developer who's highly experienced in developing projects. Mm. And um, in project finance, you find that the risks are shared and they are allocated mm. upfront. Mm-hmm. And the allocation is such that it's the parties that can manage that risk that then gets allocated that risk. Correct. Mm. Mm-hmm. So in agreements or project agreements such as your, you know, EPC. Yeah. So the so the developer ordinarily is got that, you know is the one that is tasked with building the plant, make, make sure that it works. Yeah. But then they would delegate that responsibility often to an EPC contractor or do the engineering and, 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 and then, you know, they basically then provide a guarantee to the buyer that the plant will perform. Yeah. Mm. Behind the EPC agreements, then you will also then get insurers who will ensure the liability that is being carried by the contractors. Mm. So behind each and every like agreement, the project agreement, you will find that there are insurers that way are delegated the responsibility to manage that risk. Yeah. And those are the elements that then make these projects bankable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why you see that um, how they are funded, they are funded predominantly with debt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is important to you know to appreciate because banks ordinarily, commercial banks, are, are risk affairs. Mm. If you see a project that is funded 70% by debt, already it says to you, that the risk mitigation regime in the project, including insurance, is very strong, it's very sound, it gives basically everyone comfort. So yeah. yes, there are you know insurance behind it, uh, and it's precisely so that the parties that, that can manage the risk best are allocated that risk. That risk. And, and that is the you know the beauty of the area. I mean, thank you for that explanation. Mm-hmm. I think I think the point that I wanted to highlight is that um, the sovereign guarantees that have been offered um, by sovereigns have been babysitting the lender community for <laughs> a long time. Sure. And we need to do away with them because they have resulted in high contingent liabilities for the sovereign. I think the risk 
um, of funding renewable energy plants in South Africa, in, in, in Africa actually, has been magnified. The reason why I'm saying that is because it is estimated that only 28% of um, Africans have access to power. If you build a, power, a renewable energy power plant in South Africa, what are the chances that that, that power is not going to be taken by someone, yeah. especially in a mature market like South Africa? The need for guarantees and insurances are increasing the cost of doing business. Of course, we can't run before we work. I think we need them, but the mind shift that I was talking about is that we need that to also temper down because that market is so developed. The PPAs are changing such that they are structured to move from one client to another should the client, uh, should one of the clients get liquidated. Yeah. Yes. So the risk is not as high as we are making it. Yes, it's there. It's not risk-free. Yeah. But it's like waking up and making shoes without knowing if someone is going to buy them or not. Yeah. But you know people need shoes, they are going to buy them. Yeah. You know people need power. We've got a high power deficiency, someone is going to buy that power. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about the fact that, um, that the infrastructure is already encumbered largely. Isn't that because uh, when the when the original agreements were being agreed, there wasn't a consideration for that risk, and also it was being backed by the sovereign who didn't necessarily take a commercial approach. It was more let's just guarantee it. Look, I, I think it's it's the rationale for what she was talking about, providing the government guarantees, mm. backstopping, is to open up the market yes. initially. Right. Yeah. And as the market matures, what you then do is, and we can speak about what happens in America, you know, the developing, developed countries, right? Mm -hmm. So initially in African countries, uh, those sovereign guarantees are required. But as the market matures and the risk reduces, comes over down. Time, yeah. it comes down, then it should be, you know, uh, you know, the market needs to regulate itself. Mm. Uh, we should be able as private sector parties, yeah. uh, private sector to private sector, business to business, we should be able to do uh, transactions on our own. Yeah. In the infrastructure, whether it's energy, transport, mm. whatever it is. Mm. You talk about contrast that with uh, developing countries, uh, developed countries. Uh, like America. Is, and mm. America, you've got uh, merchant power trading, which is quite developed. Yes. Right. Can you tell us about that? So basically, I mean, this is a more sophisticated form of energy trading mm -hmm. where you basically sell your power on the market. Okay. Right? On the market without even knowing who your ultimate customer is. Correct. No power purchase agreement is even signed. Correct. So you put it to the market. You don't even know what tariff you're going to sell yeah. your, your power at. So it's regulated on a daily basis mm -hmm. depending on energy energy demand visa supply right yeah. like what happens on the stock exchange yeah. so it's that sophisticated so we move, we need to move over time in that direction so we are still stuck a bit in the past where in some african countries we're still demanding uh, guarantees because investors are as companies as you, mm -hmm. you're putting yeah. out right mm -hmm. but you, a market such as kenya which is quite developed right mm -hmm. and i'm saying developed in terms of um, you know the the various uh, uh, 
energy type of structures that have been yeah. put up. Mm. Um, if you get what I mean, in South Africa, similarly, in mature mm. markets. Mm. Yeah. So we need to start over time letting go of those backstops, those guarantees. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then next phase, according to me, I'll put it in compartments, is the energy trading mm. part of it, right? Where you still need some PPAs, mm. but not so much backstop or guarantees. And then ultimately link it to the merchant power trading market, which we need to get to over time because demand is high, as imposed yeah. was putting sure. it. Um, from a legal perspective, we should do what, what shifts have you seen to encourage us to think that we are, you know, going in the right direction, either, you know, from a guarantee perspective, from a diversification perspective, uh, from a bankability perspective? What shifts have you seen? The shifts I've seen over the years is talks to, for example, the issue of bankability. Some of the considerations that lenders have uh, taken into account when they, they consider a particular project in a renewable energy market is the technology that is being used. For example, solar, hydrogen, um, and wind. In the past, historically, um, particularly in the context of the South African market, we are not really used to those kind of technologies would actually rely on European companies to basically assist in terms of providing, you know, services like uh, the O&M, the EPC, because those guys, you know, they've done it for a number of years. You mean the, the template documentation? The template documentation yeah. and actually the, also also the technical yeah. aspect okay. of it, okay. uh, because we had never done it before. That was about 15 years ago. Yeah. So the Germans, you know, the Spaniards would have done it and then we would, have, we would contract them to come here and, and basically, you know, cooperate with some of our South African entities in order to deliver on those particular projects. Yeah. But over the years, we have become comfortable, we have learned the technology, and then we are now doing it. Uh, that's an important uh, aspect that has developed over the years from a bankability point of view. Mm. From a security point of view, you know, um, as the colleagues have mentioned, lenders are risk adverse, you know, because these projects, if you look at them, they are long-term projects and uh, huge amounts of capital is deployed. And one thing that, you know, particularly when you fund this kind of uh, project is that, you know, you don't want to lose the money. Yeah. You want to make sure that, you know, when you put the money, the the project works that that is why you see even on the facility agreements the list of conditions are long mm -hmm. simply because the lenders want to make sure that you know from from an environmental point of view ticket box mm -hmm. you know uh, from a legal point of view ticket box, and from a financial point of view because there are a number of components that are taken into account before lenders release the money correct you know and um, that is why they they make sure that you know a uh, before the money moves from the bank, those aspects are taken care of. Thank you. Okay. So I would just add to that. I think um, um, the, the lenders, although the shift is obviously not as fast as I'm expecting it to be, sure. yeah. but they, we've also seen a shift in that we've seen some very, very robust models where um, in the previous rounds, the lenders will do a debt equity ratio of maybe 60 40 yeah. and 70 30. And now they are getting more and more comfortable. They are even able to do 85 15, which for me is speaks to the confidence that they have. We have yeah. seen some very stretched tenors, some are even doing 19 years in a 20 year 
PPA, whereas mm. before, by year 15, they wanted to be out. Yeah. So I think it's positive. It's moving in the right direction. And hopefully we can only see an improvement from here. Yeah, I, no, I was just going to say, you know, the point you made, it's not the Mendes that put those conditions precedent. It's, 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 it's the lawyers. Yeah, we're always arguing over those conditions. Mutually creatures of instructions. We are. We're service providers. It's an element of kids. Yeah. It can be changed. Yeah. We focused a lot on South Africa and we talked about Kenya. Um, how are we making sure that the rest of the African continent is catching up with more developed um, countries? Um, for example, you know, South Africa and Kenya. If I can, so if I can start on that, from a trader's point of view, what I would really um, want to see, or what I think will improve the energy market in, in the African continent, is for countries to stop thinking in, to, in silos. Mm. We need to generate power for the continent yeah. because we don't have the same level of consumption. I'll give an example. Um, East Africa, for example, they've got a high um, resource in uh, geothermal in hydro. Yeah. But most of them are not high energy users, for example, like uh, uh, countries that have um, mining resources that actually yeah. need the, uh, need the power. Mm -hmm. But we all need peak power. So if they can produce hydropower for own use and for export, yeah. then we will be able to improve access to power in the continent. And I mean, it's not like they're producing it for free. They'll be selling it to the, it's to it's the next extra, country. It's an extra source of income for yeah. any uh, producer. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mpa, um, on your end, no. are you going out to other countries in Africa and saying the bank is here? <laughs> Lots of crises. Yes. <laughs> no, I mean, you've done uh, hydropower projects in the likes of Gabon. Yeah. I think we are in the process of funding the next one as well. So to impose point, it's all about what resource is it's uh, it's abundant mm -hmm. in that in that country. In that country where right. where the, where they can leverage on that, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Be it solar irradiation, be it wind, right? So countries such as Gabon. Okay. So it's all about hydro. So we've done lots of projects there. And by the way, we'll take those projects from the start, and I'll expand on that. Um, you know, when I say the start, I mean preparing the projects yeah. from a project preparation phase where you're developing, you're putting money on the ground from a concept phase. And yeah, feasibility studies, for example. How do I ensure that something happens on the ground? Yeah. Maybe this country is struggling this there's high energy demand in this country but no one is coming to the party in terms of making sure that projects happen mm. within the country right the government is willing but they just don't know how to do it mm. so we'll come in uh with our advisory you know heads on mm. with a bit of seed capital and we'll find some of those projects. So we've done quite a lot okay. in, in that regard. Okay. And some of those projects, I mean, you speak about, you, again, these are projects that have reached financial close. So projects such as Kumwele have reached financial close in Kabul that we've done as TBSA, right? Um, and they provided a lot of energy access uh, in those types of countries. 
and at the same time as you're doing hydro, you you are reducing you know carbon emissions at the same time. I know there's an argument around large scale hydro, whether yeah. it's um, yeah yeah. Um, whether it's part of the just transition or, or mm. you know, reducing. So carbon offsetting, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> carbon offsetting. Um, but yeah, so so we are prevalent in a lot of countries in Senegal. We are there as well. So the rest of the entire continent, we are in all of those countries. So of, of course, some of the issues is, uh, I spoke about the energy utilities being dead burdened. Yeah. Some of the sovereigns are dead burdened as well. So yeah. they cannot borrow themselves. Mm. Right, so that's where you need concessional funding to come, blended finance mechanisms to come into the mix mm. to be able to catalyze those projects to happen. Correct. So project preparation is important. Mm. Concessional funding lines are important, mm. right? In order to, in order for that uh, regulatory uh, uh, reforms are quite important as well. Mm. Um, in order for the government to create an enabling environment yeah. in those countries. Yeah. Otherwise, investment will not happen. Because right. any investor, unless we talk about investors, lenders being risk-averse, mm-hmm. that will want to put their money in a risky You can share it back. Well, you mm-hmm. cannot get it back. Correct. Yeah. Who would? Yeah. Ali? Yeah. No, so we, um, just like the DPSA, but maybe to a slightly lesser extent, um, uh, we, you know, we have got, we funded projects there also on the continent. Um, what we tend to do is we tend to, because we are an industrial development cooperation, um, our main mandate uh, is mainly to uh, establish and to retain industrial capacity. So the approach that we followed uh, previously is to fund energy projects, you know, in industrial, um, you know, rich uh, like no country. So we've got um, power plants in Zambia, uh, in Ghana, uh, and I think there is one in the DRC, if not to be mistaken. But increasingly, as I said earlier, um, SA is the you know, bedeviled with the load shedding. Mm-hmm. So the opportunity that we are seeing, and we do export a lot of our energy to yeah. the neighboring countries. Mm-hmm. So the opportunity that we want to explore now, less um, following the Indian there, but is to uh, go and invest in power plants in the neighboring countries. Um, just like Paul is saying, like, you need to look at it as a, you know, as an aggregated, like, you know, as a block. Exactly, mm-hmm. as a block. Mm-hmm. So we are looking increasingly to the neighboring countries such as Botswana, such as uh, Namibia, mm-hmm. more in Mozambique, mm-hmm. and then further up into, um, you know, the like, industrial intensive uh, mm-hmm. areas such as the DRC. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're looking to do going forward. When you do that, we know that uh, the whole area with the whole block, energy secure, security would have been assured. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, we're Just uh, on that, on that point, specifically on industrial, does industrial and technology mix? Can you say that? Because you're very much focused on, you know, industry, as it were, yes. in a typical sense. Look, I mean, uh, he did mention it earlier. Um, so technology unlocks or enables uh, mm. your industry. In fact, the question is, how are you harnessing that? How are we harnessing yeah. that? Look, I mean, in SA, I mean, I can speak about SA in particular because I think on the continent, I'm not certain that we have funded many uh, technology ventures. But in SA, even though our mandate is mainly uh, industrial, we do fund uh, entities that, you know, that be in the technology space. I think when you look at telecoms uh, as well, um, the backbone 
of telecoms is technology, enabling technology. So we do mm -hmm. find like the infrastructure like in that space, but then we mm -hmm. also, you know, we find uh, entities that develop uh, technology, you know, that engage this industry. So mm -hmm. yeah, so we do adopt, we do look at that, uh, yeah. we do consider, consider it as a. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 So I think like you just add um, what he's saying. I think I think um, energy is obviously an impetus to economic growth. And we have seen the impact of load shedding in the South African manufacturing industry. Um, energy can help and therefore unlock the manufacturing sector, can help you have a consistent Wi-Fi connection. It can help us reach the dream of Cape to Cairo uh, transport if we knew we have sustainable energy throughout the continent. In the absence of that, we are not going to have uh, infrastructure that is going to move people within the continent, move goods within the continent, because ideally you want someone to wake up in Sudan, make shoes, put them on a train, and those shoes can be sold same day in Mozambique or Kenya or something. Without energy, uh, that dream is going to remain a dream. So that's how, for me, energy is going to unlock the industries that he was talking yeah. about. Sure. I mean, that is a dream and also the dream of the Africa Free Trade Agreement, right? Yeah, sure. And mm -hmm. I guess without, you know, real impetus by governments and as well as working together with, you know, independent producers and energy traders, that really cannot come to life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk about lessons from the AEF then, since we're here. What have you learned from being in Nairobi over the course of the conference? Yeah. Look, uh, for me, the first thing uh, that I think is worth mentioning is um, the Africa Energy Forum, I think, is in its 25th year. Okay. And for me, you know, it's a milestone that it is now held in, you know, in Africa. For the okay. Uh, so, you know, the interactions that we've had, luckily, you know, in SA, the many parties that are in the ecosystem are present in Spain. So... We, you know, you know, the interactions have been, you know, we, we basically have just been carrying on from, you know, what, you know, established relationships and, you know, and carry on. But I think uh, it's also important that it remains here so that all these parties understand exactly the challenges that Africa faces. It's not always easy to come up with a solution for Africa, sitting wherever you are. Yeah. Mashudu mentioned earlier that uh, there is a growing acceptance uh, of parties that are local, no longer international. Correct. Uh, so, so this will lead, uh, you know, to the development of that sector and um, having those parties either as EPC or as IPPs developing solutions for, you know, for Africa. Yeah. Uh, from from Africa's vantage point. Um, excellent. Paul, I think from my side, um, I'm I'm very encouraged by the level of uh, skills transfer that is currently happening. In, in the previous years, in, an, is in, an, in a conference like this, there will just be global IPPs everywhere. Today, we've got a number of African IPPs that are either partnering with international IPPs or that are doing their own small energy uh, projects which which says over the years we've been able to transfer those skills africa is able to start coming up with solutions to solve their own problems mm. uh for me that is that is the biggest um milestone i've seen us um achieving amazing 
It's possible uh, to grow a day without load shedding. I'm really glad that Kenya can represent it so we are you feel an African continent, so it's possible. It's possible. So there's been and the, and the fact that we can host conferences of this magnitude, yes. right? Mm -hmm. To the highest yes. point. I've attended previous AEFs. London is so called. Um all over, right? Mm. Yeah. Over the past ten years I've attended AEFs, but never in Africa. So this is the first time. Mm -hmm. And I must say, uh, Kenya has done a good job. Thank yeah. you. Excellent. And I should have eaten that we're doing this podcast, recording this podcast here. Mm -hmm. Right, so it all makes sense. Yes, you know, in perfect timing, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. it all makes sense. But I mean, AEF is all about networking. Yeah, it's not so much about the conference going in mm -hmm. and listening to the sessions. Mm -hmm. It's about meeting like-minded people. Yeah, mm -hmm. and whether it's advisors, it's CDH, whether it's technical advisors, whether it's lenders. So you've got answers to all of those mm -hmm. people, right? Investors. So you've got high-powered delegations, ministers, presidents attending this in order to make something happen. So it's all about that. So, and it's all, I mean, it's been, it's been, it's been, it's been good. good. Let's, let's hope it happens because all of the yeah. ideas that you've yeah. talked about here are things that can be done, especially yeah. in an environment where there isn't a civil war anymore, you know, where countries are looking to develop economically. All of these things can and should be done. Must you do your lessons from the conference? Thank you, Joe. I think the key takeaway point for me is the fact that, you know, um, there are projects, you know, um, have been interacted with a number of uh, sponsors at the AEF. And what is clear is that there is a funding gap um, and that develop, developed countries uh, must actually, uh, you know, play their roles in terms of assisting those struggling countries to make sure that, you know, there's access to energy. And equally so, the private sector uh, must also play their role in terms of coming to the party to make sure that, you know, the funding gap is actually closed to enable project to move from the ground to, mm -hmm. to basically operation. Um, that's quite an important thing. Um, it's clear to me that, you know, there are a number of projects in a number of sectors and, and also in particular on the energy side. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's just the ability and the willingness of lenders to fund um, and both from a debt perspective and from an equity perspective. Okay. Well, it's been a wonderful conversation, you guys. Thank you so much for joining me uh, on this podcast. Um, I don't know what to say in conclusion. I think it's where we, where we, where we can go from here, right? Uh, and taking the bold steps of making sure that um, infrastructure projects are bankable uh, and they have the banking, the backing of African um, banks as well as, you know, um, African energy traders. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much, you guys. It's been a pleasure. Sure. Asante. Sure. 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 And Kwaheri. Yeah. See you guys next month. <laughs> Cheers.